Just before we start the podcast, here's a message from our sponsor, F1 Delta Time. F1 Delta Time is the officially licensed Formula One game running on the Ethereum blockchain from Animoca Brands. They've just started to drop their 2020 season NFTs. In the game, you need to buy a car and then you can buy various components that you fit to the car, also drivers and various tires. Obviously, you need to put together the right combination for each individual track that you're going to race. And the winners of the uh, leaderboard get uh, various types of crypto, including the in-game cryptocurrency called Rev. Check it out now at f1deltatime.com. Hello and welcome to Blockchain Gaming World, episode 85. We're cranking through them now for our end of year specials. And uh, joining me uh, to talk about uh, what happened in 2020 is uh, Robbie Young from Animoca Brands. How's it going, Robbie? It's going very well. Thank you. Good. And and, and I know, just been looking at the numbers, that you've had a, you've had a great year. <laughs> so you're not just being polite. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's it's been a really good year for us. I mean, I think, honestly, it's been great for everybody who's in blockchain games um, and the wider NFT space outside of games as well. Um, it's been really, I mean, this has been the year of NFTs, although I guess you and I inhabit a little bit of an echo chamber because we're up to our necks in it. Um, but if you think back to where we were just in 2019, I mean, this year is like night and day because we've seen so many, um, you know, projects that have been in discussion or early, you know, pre-sale phase um, start to really have users playing actual games and and games having been launched, and then you've got some games that have now been out for a couple of years that are still continuing to go from strength to strength. You know, I'm thinking of the, you know, the original Crypto Kitties to things like Splinterlands and Axie Infinity and stuff that was, you know, the only games that were launched last year um, still continue to flourish this year. And then you've got a whole host of, of new products as well. So I'm, you know, it's, we can't complain. It's been fabulous. Cool. So I was kind of thinking, because um, there's so many things we could talk about with Animoca Brands, because literally you have you have your fingers in uh, so many pies. Obviously, uh, the Sandbox has, has had a really uh, great year. Um, and you're also one of the lead investors in, in uh, Axie Infinity, which actually was our one of our, my previous podcasts. So so we, we, won't, we won't talk about those ones in particular. But I kind of thought F1 Delta Time, which is, um, I guess, your kind of signature uh, blockchain uh, game would be, would be one to go for. And I was just kind of Looking, looking, uh, making sure I had all my all my uh, all, all the data to hand. Looking at all the uh, the sales you've been doing, and that's uh, that, that's quite <laughs> quite a considerable list. Um, so um, be- before we kind of get into the detail of, of particularly how how NFTs have worked at, for F1 Delta Time this year, um, do you want to give us like a little, little of a kind of potted um, potted view of of uh, you know what F1 Delta Time is? Sure. So F1 Delta Time is the officially licensed Formula One game um, for blockchain. Um, and so we have had those rights now for a couple of years. And because it's a blockchain collectible-based game, um, it's allowed us to follow you know, many other blockchain-style games in launching content pre-sales and building a community in advance of the sort of entire game experience being available. So as you know, we started um, selling, de- developing and selling content last year in 2019 in the summer. Um, and then we slowly, um, you know, built more content and then eventually started launching some uh, features like time trials and some, some racing, you know, uh, gameplay earlier this year. Uh, and now the full game experience is actually launching shortly. Um, 
I believe you might get a nice Christmas present for that. Um, so, um, so we've been able to launch it in stages and we've been very fortunate that I think, you know, the, um, the player base, the audience has really embraced the idea of um, a Formula One game, both from a gameplay standpoint, because they like racing games, but also from the standpoint of um, being interested in actually owning the content in the game um, and owning this exclusive licensed merchandise, I think is another way to look at it. Um, and, and so they've been very supportive in a number of different types of content sales that we've, we've done. And I think what it's served to do really is to broaden the appeal of what a Formula One game could be. Um, I like to try to explain it to people who aren't as familiar with the game industry that, you know, there are, there are, there are sort of games and then there are metagames and a Formula One racing game traditionally has had a, a simulation aspect to it often. So that would be what we'd all think of as the game. And then you'd have the sort of football manager style metagame where you could trade drivers and kit out cars and it's more of the management portion of the game and that's you know that's a typical meta game but with the layer of blockchain on top it gives us yet a third you know type of gameplay or another meta game which is here i own stuff and now what does ownership actually mean um you know what how, how do i play ownership if you will so we we launched some features that include things like the ability to stake your um, your cars um, and and that was done for two reasons one because staking is something that is obviously popular in the DeFi world and with people who are sort of crypto enthusiasts. And we knew that that was a way to appeal to that audience who's very comfortable with that terminology in crypto, that maybe they would find that interesting about our you know, game NFT project. <clears throat> but also from a game, you know, if, you're, if you're coming at this not knowing anything about crypto, then as a game player who just wants to play a racing game, it gives you another option because you can actually then say, look, I can't afford this car because maybe the car that I want to play in the game is too expensive but um, to own, but I can rent it. So when somebody who owns the car stakes it, another player gets to rent it and have the benefit of ownership for that time so they can race it. And that's something that we haven't seen before um, in racing games just because we didn't have the technology to enable that. Mm -hmm. yeah, you covered a lot of stuff there. I, I guess during the podcast, we'll start to unpick some of that. Um, but I think it's very, very good um, positioning. Um, as you kind of said, you know, there's the, there's the gameplay, which I guess is kind of what everyone typically thinks about with a game. There's something you, something you control and it jumps up and down or it shoots or, you know, that's what we do. And then we have kind of a, we've seen, I guess with mobile, um, we've seen this kind of idea of a meta game. So that's more about the kind of management style or leveling up in an RPG. Um, and the really interesting thing about, um, I think, you know, what blockchain brings and certainly brings to F1 Delta Time is, is it actually connects those those together in a meaningful way um, in the sense that the things you own, you own, and you, as you kind of, as you get more of them or they get better, that helps the gameplay and also um, helps you kind of... The, the, progressing through the meta game helps you unlock those sort of things, which is kind of has been in games before, but that's been very... Uh, in some ways, it's like certainly in the free-to-play mobile side, it's kind of been um, you've been there's been a barrier to to those two things linking together, which has basically been the amount of time in there. Um, I think blockchain allows us to unlock some of the value in there, and some people have a lot of time, and some people have a lot of money, um, and and it allows us to unlock that in a more holistic way. Um, and obviously, we're only really scratching the surface of things like renting. Um, but I guess what's what's interesting um, 
and we are seeing this in F1 Delta time already. Um, in blockchain, we often talk about community. And in blockchain games, we talk about community. And, and what's been interesting, I guess, is because this value is not created by the developer, as it would normally be, it's created by the community, whatever that means, we've started to see um, some quite significant um, kind of uh, movement in people kind of, kind of coming, I guess, from the esports kind of type of uh, audience or, 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 or seeing F1 Delta time as a esports type game. Yes. Um, and, and starting to invest kind of some quite serious amounts of, of, of money into those things. So do you, do you want to talk a little bit about how, because um, that wasn't something I was expecting to see, that, that you basically have these, um, it's not something you, you've put processes for in the game, but it's people, basically people creating um, their own teams external to the game and then racing them in, 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 in the game. Was that something that you were surprised about? Yes. Or surprised how quickly it came? I was surprised personally how quickly it came, but I think it's natural because it's one of those things that where we again see blockchain you know, allowing a game to more accurately reflect what goes on in the physical world. Um, so we've seen that with, with virtual real estate games as well, where all of a sudden you'll see activities going on where, that users are engaging in that actually mimic what happens in the real world with mortgages or what have you um, that are not specifically put out there by the developer. And I think Teams is the same thing in the, in the case of F1 Delta Time. So, you know, it's logical for people to cooperate to advance in, in the game. And in this case, there's a reward for that, too, because um, that cooperation can result in the appreciation of value of some of the things that they own. Or it can also mean that they can pool resources to acquire assets in the game that they might not otherwise be able to acquire. Um, so in that case, you know, it may not be that different than thinking about guilds, for example, in, you know, in some kind of an RPG or something like that. I guess what's interesting, when I um, spent a bit of time looking at the kind of the mechanics of, of, of esports, um, it was interesting because it was very much like a, a winner-takes-all sort of thing, that people, you know, it costs a lot of money to run an esports team and very labour-intensive, and you have to find all these, you know, teenagers and kind of keep them in order and make, it, make them train and stuff. Um, uh, but basically you had, in every game, you basically had one chance a year to win the big prize pool. You know, that was, and those were the teams that made the money everyone else lost money and a, a bit like kind of football i suppose um and i guess what's interesting at least at the moment with, with the blockchain stuff is is um there still is those big you know potentially we go to those big prizes and 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 the people who win those get the most prizes but but because you're owning the the kind of assets in there as well it, it broadens out the the business model and and instead of kind of like the Potentially, the people who own the game or the, the the one the big team who wins League of Legends every year taking the money it just spreads much better with with blockchain and I always kind of felt blockchain was something esports was, was missing and but it's, we had, no one's seemed to be able to bring blockchain at scale to to esports it seems to be still quite disconnected yes well and we're we're very excited about that potential because I think the one thing that we have not really explored yet in the NFT collectible um, side of things is the collectability of things that have esports provenance. And I think that's going to be the next leg of the stool that we'll see once games have a lot more, you know, DAUs and and um, and championships under their belt, so to speak. You know, in another year or so, we'll start to see people selling cars and swords and whatever, in a, you know, in-game items um, that have resulted in victories that are well-publicized or have been owned by particularly adept players or famous players. Um, and, but I think we're seeing, at the moment, we're seeing provenance in more from, a, would say, an investment angle, because one of the things that we have observed is that there are definitely um, 
influencers within different game communities who you know other players like to follow what they're doing um just like we see that with you know people who pick stocks and invest in the stock market or you know collect any type of thing because there are people who are viewed as having certain expertise and other people will be interested in investing what they're investing in and i guess uh, bringing it back a bit more kind of specifically we, we we saw i mean you've been selling many well, not many. You've, you've sold a few of your kind of uh, what you call apex cars, which are your your most um, expensive, your your, your sorry, your rarest um, NFTs. Um, and we saw the first one um, of the 20, new twenty twenty series, which is the new NFT series that you're doing, because obviously you're based around the F one um, kind of real world uh, kind of uh, uh, schedule. Um, and we had the the Bahrain twenty twenty car, which sold for look at, look at seventy seventy seven thousand dollars, and that was actually bought by someone who I didn't really know, but my my uh, Lithuanian friends have have, uh, have filled me in about it. Tony G, who's a kind of quite well known entrepreneur and, and, and poker player and and, and, uh, and uh, all that sort of stuff in Lithuania. Um, and, and he and he's someone who I don't think it doesn't sound like to me had much of an interest in games, particularly beforehand, as in computer games. But now has quite formally set up a team. Is it yes. The, something faster team or something you know he, he set up a formerly a team in f1 delta time to race in f1 delta time and he sees that as as a kind of a you know obviously a big business opportunity which is yes well also you know, the, other, the other thing about tony is he he is he loves technology and he's been a major blockchain advocate um particularly even in his political role because he's actually an mep um for lithuania and so he's set up a lot of blockchain initiatives with um, on behalf of the Lithuanian government. And so he's really supportive of the blockchain community there. Um, so I think that's how he got into gaming, because for him, you know, he's always loved entertainment products. And this was a nice mix of two hobbies, I guess you could say. And uh, I won't go on about it too much, but, but um, as we are kind of on, on the expensive NFT thing, I mean, I think that there are a few projects that uh, game projects that have kind of shown quite a lot of kind of a, uh, uh kind of become like investment grade sort of sort of uh sort of quality um and i was just kind of totting up um what i talking up how many nfts you sold um i mean i got to over two million so far two million dollars worth in terms of all your uh different sales and stuff um and you also current currently at least it, it may change <laughs> you currently have the record for the most expensive yes. single yes. um game nft maybe the most expensive nft per se mightn't it kind of the um two hundred and twenty two thousand dollars for for um one uh element of the monaco um track on the game so can you talk a little bit about um because uh, that's a little bit different in the sense it's not just the, the value of that nft isn't like an art nft yes. that is just a thing that sits on a blockchain this actually has some um some some revenue uh, attached to it as well so can you maybe yes. spend a bit of time explaining sure so so the idea here was that um you know obviously the f1 season has um tracks and cars and drivers and all those different parts and we thought that one thing that would be really interesting because blockchain allows us to create an actual economy within a game um, we would we thought it was very interesting to see um, how it would be if the players could then participate in the actual economy of the game so um, we have this rev token which we can talk more about which is the in-game currency of the game um, and a lot of um, Things that you do in the game require rev uh, in order for you to participate. So if you want to race, you have to spend rev to participate in a race. So there's an, an entry fee. Um, and that means that every time a race occurs on a track, there's a certain amount of um, revenue from the entry fees. So in thinking about how to um, uh, give ownership to players in those tracks, we divided the tracks up into... 
um, the same way that we divided up uh, cars. So there are certain uh, bits of track that are more rare and more valuable than others. Um, and so the one you're talking about is 5% of the, the Monaco GP track. Um, and many people who you know, really follow F1 will may agree that Monaco is probably the most storied of the F1 tracks um, and therefore one of probably the most desirable uh, to own. And so we started with, you know, what was sort of the jewel in the crown of track ownership. Um, <clears throat> but the thing is that it's not, as you said, just, just an object on the blockchain to own, um, but the ownership also imparts the right to the owner of revenue that occurs on the track. Um, so we're basically giving a revenue share to the owner of that part of the track, which means that they're, they become, in effect, our business partner. Um, and that's something that, you know, I think it changes the model of the game a little bit because it becomes a lot less about just us as the developer and the player as the customer who's playing. It really brings that community into the fold because they're not just playing, they're not just introducing their friends to the game, they actually have an ownership stake in the game that's meaningful, that they can actually earn from to you know, reinvest in the game or to withdraw those, those profits from the game. Um, and I think that it's a win-win because um, it also makes them much more enthusiastic um, evangelists for the game. Um, and that's something that we're all looking for these days in trying to build communities and mm. games. Mm. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I, uh, I think you're breaking up, um, is it each track into 330 NFTs or is that just the Monaco one? But basically you're breaking up tracks into quite a lot of different pieces. Yes, we are. And, and part of the idea behind that is that we want to, we've, we've gained some notoriety for certain things being NFTs be, being sold for quite high sums in the game, but we don't want it to just be the, the domain of people who have lots of money to spend. Um, the idea is that you can provide an environment where there's something for everybody. Um, so I think we also wanted to make sure that there's enough to go around for everybody because we don't want it to just be, you know, a playground for the wealthy. Yes, exactly. Well, and also, frankly, the, uh, even even the section of Monaco track is still cheaper than actual Monaco. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, <laughs> absolutely cool. So so um, presumably that's that the 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 moment you've only sold one bit of track NFT. Uh, I guess at some point in twenty twenty one there'll be a, a a bigger rollout of that. Yes, sort of definitely, definitely. And I think the idea again is we've been trying to be judicious about how we do content sales because also we're quite conscious of the fact that we want to get people participating in the time trial events. And now you can start to see that we have some avid players who are regularly playing and, and we want to, you know, we want to make sure that everybody knows that this is not just, um, you know, an investment opportunity because what grabs the headlines are that, you know, people buy things and spend a lot of money on them or sell things and make a lot of money on them. But we also want people to come and play and have fun. And so I think that part needs to have its time to play out as well because um, one thing that I find very encouraging is that um, some people, you know, I've, I've had friends tell me that they have um, uh, their friends who've come to participate in some of our content auctions um, and they initially came because they felt like it sounded like a good investment opportunity. But then when they realized what was going on and did a little bit more homework, they found, oh, well, that, there's actually kind of a fun game here. So if I 
you know, if I'm speculating on a car, I can use it and play a game while I own it instead. And so they, you know, we convert them into becoming players rather than just investors. And I think that, you know, that's kind of a mission accomplished from our, our point of view. It seems to always be the thing, thing that the balance with blockchain games is, is because it's on a blockchain, because because everything is 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 basically has a value attached to it. Um, then you clearly, you know, the kind of some sort of speculative investment thing has to be part of the community. It's, it's the, it seems to be the balance of getting that that bit right. So so it's kind of feeding money in with the with the, what will hopefully be the, the much more um, uh, uh, kind of bigger part of the community, which is just kind of enjoying stuff and and it, and if there is some money to be accrued as part of that, then, then all well and good. Um, but, but that's not, not the primary thing. And I guess at this point, it's good to, we should point out that um, I think by the time the podcast comes out, you've actually, the, the first kind of gameplay, you know, not the first, but the, the main gameplay element of, of F1 Delta Time will be live. Uh, and obviously there's, that's kind of rolling out um, over the coming months in terms of how people kind of race against each other. But, but, but the, the first kind of game, what people would consider a game <laughs> bit of it. Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so that will be live. The time trials have already been going for the last six months or so. Um, and obviously, you know, the NFT marketplace itself is quite active with people buying and selling goods. And, and I think the other part that's important here then is, is what we call the REV ecosystem. So we've created this in-game currency, which is the REV token. And the idea there was to find a way to, um, to both incentivize and reward players um, so they can earn REV, they can spend REV, but we wanted to make sure that it was that we were being we were showing off why this would be different than any any other in-game currency. Um, <clears throat> and so, what we've pledged to do with Rev is that it will be the in-game currency of other motorsports-related games that we will be launching in the coming in the coming months. So, uh, we've licensed MotoGP, we've licensed Formula E, um, and Rev will be the currency for all those other games as well. So the idea is that once you have been spending time in F1 Delta time, you may accumulate a certain amount of rev as a result of being in the game community. And then you can also use that rev to go and play MotoGP or, you know, and, and, and you get that interchange back and forth and it increases, you know, the value and utility of rev to the player. So, yeah. Um, so, it's interesting that Rev is uh, is I mean it's an ERC twenty token, so it's a, a standard kind of Ethereum token. Um, we've we've seen um, you know various games launch various sorts of tokens this year. Um, Rev was interesting in the sense that uh, you basically kind of I think not really soft launched it, but you just launched it through Uniswap, so you just basically created a liquidity pool um, rather than doing a kind of more formal what we might call um, IEO or that sort of thing. Um, can you talk a little bit about the thinking behind that and why, why you thought that was the best approach? Um, we did that because for us, we were also, it was not a, it was not a specific fundraising exercise. Um, other, I think other games, including our own sandbox game, um, have, have used IEOs also as a way to um, raise funds to put towards the cost of development of the game. Um, but in this case, we were actually looking to just simply create an in-game currency that was on the blockchain that had utility for players, which is why we did it in a in a sort of a softer way, if you will. So I was just I was just check, checking the price. And I guess it, 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 it is interesting because because when you I guess you go through a more formal um, kind of uh, sale process, then then that's kind of the the companies involved are kind of setting a price 
um, and and you know they they, they may it's like 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 launching a you know a, 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 an IPO launching a share um, you know th- th- there's some kind of bounds in which you're kind of choosing but, but but you kind of one of the kind of key things you want is is, is obviously for the price to kind of go up <laughs> when it when it when it launches and and and, and because you you've done it as a speculative thing that can be quite hard to judge and we see things go up and down but whereas doing it this way is actually I guess at least. I mean, you have to set a price to begin with on the on the liquidity pool, but but the, basically the market comes to a decision um, on what it wants to do rather than you doing that. So so I guess it's uh, I always kind of think that's more a more interesting um, you know, kind of perspective than than, than uh, people people's people's noses get out of joint either way on the potentially on, on the other one. <laughs> well, you you can never please everybody, as you know, um, and uh, you just uh, read the comments if you want to know about that. Um, but but I think in this case, yeah, it was. we've always come at F1 Delta time from the perspective of being game developers. Um, So, you know, we're game developers who have learned about blockchain and crypto as we've gone along and tried to figure out how best to use it within a game. But fundamentally, we're always focused on the game aspect of it, which I think is something that is maybe slightly different than other projects that have, that are great blockchain games, but have been built by, blockchain or crypto teams who happen to have a passion for games but that was not their main business to begin with yeah absolutely yeah i mean there are different um i mean we're in this early stages and i can't yeah the, the the background of the teams very much shapes some of the decisions they make and it's not that it's not that the decisions they make are wrong it's perhaps the decisions that they make are not would be wrong for other teams to make i, I suppose that's the, that's the most um that's the, that's the most uh diplomatic way of putting it um so, so running running a you know running a token um, as, as we've seen not just you know, not really from the game space but, but in general running a cryptocurrency is is not the easiest thing you have, kind of have you know it's not you're not in control necessarily of of, of the pricing um, speculators speculators can come in and, and up and down and and um, and equally um, it's interesting that you're 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 going to run multiple games on the Rev token which obviously um, hopefully drives demand for it but equally you know you can get misbalances I suppose of depending if one game's one game's doing better than the other. You can kind of have they can basically you've now connected these games together. You connected their economies together in 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 a direct way. Um, how much kind of thinking have you done around uh, the kind of the downsides mm. of that? Um, as much as we can. <laughs> um, it's it's always. I mean, you know, we're in a very new field, so there are always going to be unintended consequences. I think one of the things that we have tried to do is, you know, I, I was describing this to somebody yesterday who's not who's who's been in gaming for a long time, but not that familiar with blockchain. And I said, it's one of those things where, you know, when we first went into mobile gaming, we started to think about having um, psychology PhDs um, in consultation because creating game loops involves a lot of psychology. Um, And now in blockchain gaming, we find ourselves having to consult actual economists in order to assist us with creating in-game economies because there's a lot of stuff you have to think about. You know, we're not just creating an in-game currency like gold or diamonds or something that just are, you know, infinite and copyable. Um, so we have to think about inflation. We have to think about money supply and, and things like that. So I, I totally agree with you. I think that we have to always be cognizant of what, um, that when we're pushing down one lever, at one end of the seesaw, another end may go up <laughs> for lack of a better analogy. Yeah. But I guess on the positive side, you know, you got you got three games connected, and it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if mm-hmm, this, mm-hmm. if if kind of it was kind of a competition between those three, and and having those three actually force one of them to be more popular than it otherwise would have been, sort of thing. I, mean, I suppose from that point of view, there's a safety net if you, you happen to be playing one game, um, and and 
that actually you could make much more money in the other game that that will just be people will flow in in that way and maybe it'll be a bit of a kind of seesaw balancing act um until they find out so so in a sense maybe maybe you've got a bit of a kind of um counterbalance going on there so maybe it's, it's less problematic than, than maybe i'm um, <laughs> well and also i think i think there is an argument to be made that that cryptocurrencies in general tokens in general are converging on some sort of universal exchangeability um because there are so many exchanges and for people to participate in you know things like uniswap or official exchanges and stuff is relatively straightforward these days so you know who's to say that it won't really matter what tokens you're holding at a certain point in time because there will always be some way to exchange one for another yeah and more generally, I won't really uh, we won't discuss this point particularly, but it is interesting that I'm starting to see now, or we're starting to see other um, other kind of uh, projects, not in the blockchain space, thinking about how they um, merge their existing kind of currency into a, into a cryptocurrency. So one I don't know very much about is a, is a, um, a, a avatar platform called uh, IMUV, maybe pronounced. I, I'm Vu or something. I don't know, <laughs> um, but they're quite a big platform. Not not really something I know about. But they're they're going to uh, again like a, creating an ERC twenty token. That so, so I think it is it is interesting that that they're kind of the um, universality of of a of a blockchain cryptocurrency is something that people are clearly now um, just just thinking as as being something that is fairly straightforward um, and and kind of bolting onto existing. Uh, communities, which which I always think is the most risky thing. Um, one thing I did want to chat about in that context, though, um, I've I've always been surprised really about the the animosity of some people in the game space to, to blockchain. I mean, most people just don't care less about it. Um, but some people are yes, you know, very experienced people are actively um, antagonistic about it. Um, and obviously, not obviously, but but you know, uh, you've been around in the game space for goodness knows how long, uh, making making mobile games, and, and that's kind of how we originally kind of got, uh, kind of met probably over a decade ago now. Um, have you been surprised about the kind of people in the industry and their attitude to blockchain is that changing uh, i mean i've had some conversations with people in the, in the last year who i think now understand it's something that potentially is happening um in their heads they kind of intellectually understand this is something that's not you know it's, it's not like a made-up thing it's not you know it, it's a proper thing but proper businesses are getting involved now but in their gut they still can't get it and there's this kind of so it's, it's becoming less antagonistic but they still can't get it and i wonder if there's a, just the game people there'll be a generation of people who just kind of can't get it. I guess, I guess like some people didn't get free to play. So I was going to say exactly the same thing because when I came into gaming, I came into mobile and, you know, we're an Asian based company. So it was all about free to play pretty much from, from the first day I came on into this industry a decade ago. Um, and as I learned more about other parts of the game industry, particularly people who came from the console space, um, I was always amazed how, there was a there was a very rigid sort of doctrine about this idea of fun, um, as if fun was something that there was only one universal truth to, um, and that a game should be some you know like a traditional console game where you pay for the game up front and then that's it. Once you turn it on, it's just about fun, and so they so there was a very hard doctrine about the fact that selling something to somebody in a game diminishes the fun because there's a sales process going on. You're taking away, you know, resources in the game from them or you're forcing them to have a paywall here for something and that takes away fun. Um, 
there's still that creative tension, I think, in making games. But honestly, I think the freemium model has won out because players seem to enjoy it just as much, if not more. And for developers, we make more money under the freemium model so we can make more games for people. So I think it's a win-win there. Um, And I've noticed the same thing in the blockchain game community where I think there are still a lot of traditional game developers who don't yet see how the addition of blockchain um, can enhance fun. They see how it can enhance um, the revenue for the developer, but they don't see how the experience can be more enjoyable to the player. But I think that really means that you have to get your head around those metagames that it opens up the possibility for, as I said. It's interesting in that context um, that uh, I saw the other... Actually, I missed it as well. So there was a press release that came out um, from Fort, the Forte platform, I'm sure you know about. And and, uh, and it was the, like the, the worst press release ever, not because the content was bad, but because they basically... Didn't 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 say Will Wright's making blockchain games, <laughs> which was kind of hidden away in there. And I was just like amazed, like Will Wright, the guy who did um, you know the, the, uh, the Sims and, and, and Sim City, is, is making a blockchain game. And and I thought that was kind of interesting because okay, he's, he's he's probably now you know he's, he's not the current generation of, of people making you know mashup console bashing games, but he, he never was really. He was more intellectual. But but when you have people of that status making blockchain games, and 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 I was just amazed that when I, I just happened to kind of come across the press release, it was like a, a month ago, it was in mid-November. And I was like, how did how did I not know about that? And then it transpired that no one knew about it. <laughs> you know, it was quite, and I just kind of think maybe that, is that because Will Wright's not important anymore? Is it is it because it's blockchain and people, the games press don't get it? And it's kind of interesting that actually I think a lot of stuff, and, and people are being a bit secretive because obviously he's, he's announced something, when that game's coming out, what that, get, that game is, who knows? Sort of things that may be a bit of a long way off, but it's, but it seemed, you know, we always kind of hear these kind of hints, you know, below the surface. Oh, you know, what's this guy doing? What's this guy doing? And they're quite big names in the space, but no one will come and officially announce that. And then someone did, and and no one cared less. <laughs> so I wonder if we're kind of sitting in this kind of information black hole that, um, that uh, for some reason, um, the games industry doesn't want to doesn't want to write about it. Although, frankly, I mean, you've you've been at this a long time, and and remember when when mobile started to take off, how many years it took for mobile to actually be, you know. Mobile was a very serious game platform for many years before some of the major console titles um, created mobile versions of what they did on console. I mean, I'm talking about some of them waited five or ten years to the point where people were getting out of mobile and they were just and they're just like, okay, now we're ready because they were the entrenched oligopolists of console. So to them, that was gaming. Yeah, no. It- it is the. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with these companies. They just, it's, it's kind of the, the uh, what they call it. The um, the inf- the. Uh, well, it's what they know how to do, right? The innovative dilemma, isn't it? Yes. Is it you, you basically build a company and it gets brilliant at doing this one specific thing, and it gets so brilliant at it that it has no bandwidth to do something that anyone thinks it should be able to do. Yeah, well, because you're you're basically asking a big Hollywood studio who makes movies to say, okay, now make a half-hour sitcom for TV and do it on 1% of the budget. And, you know, it's a different it's a different thing altogether. Okay, so uh, coming to the end of the podcast, there was one that thing I actually wanted to talk to you about, which um, was, I guess, I think more of a trend for 2021. And in 2020, we've seen this kind of big explosion of activity on the Ethereum blockchain, all the DeFi stuff and and kind of the game NFT stuff has all been um, Ethereum. Um, but uh, we're starting to see now um, what people used to call Ethereum killers or maybe calling um, Ethereum replacements or, or slightly less loaded terms. Um, lots, of, lots of new blockchains um, that, that are launching with various kind of different focuses on. And, and Animoca has, you, you've 
done some at least one press release saying some of your games, I think including F1 Delta Time, are going to come to other blockchains. So I kind of wondered to, uh, what your opinion was on, I guess, 2021 as a kind of a multi-chain sort of sort of approach and and the kind of uh, opportunities and the challenges that come along with it. Um, so I think um, first and foremost, you know, one of the big issues for this year that everybody in NFTs, um, uh, especially not just in gaming, but also in the art world have been talking about on Ethereum have been gas prices, um, gas fees. So it has impacted gaming very greatly. Um, and I think we've seen um, with interest examples of other games like Splinterlands, for example, where they don't have the same issue, um, able to generate quite a healthy um, economy at relatively low price points per transaction. Um, because of the fact that they don't have the, the same issues with gas fees. So I think um, it's caused us, you know, us meaning all game developers on, on blockchain games, to be looking around at what other alternatives there are. Um, that having been said, obviously, Ethereum is, you know, the second most widely held cryptocurrency and kind of the gold standard for gaming blockchains. Um, so I think it's it's more about trying to see what other opportunities are out there. Um, we did announce, um, as you mentioned earlier this year, that we will be bringing our MotoGP title, um, as well as one based on our own IP called Stargirl, um, to the Flow blockchain uh, created by Dapper Labs. Um, and I think that that is the result of not just a long-term partnership we've had with Dapper, but also our own genuine interest in seeing what the development process is like on that Flow blockchain and how it compares to our experience on Ethereum. Um, and, you know, obviously the jury is out until we get further into the project and, and understand what the differences and, and sort of costs and benefits are. Um, but I do think that one of the exciting things, frankly, about being um, in a relatively nascent industry is that a lot of these technology standards are not set in stone yet. Um, and so I think that a lot of developers are experimenting um, they're experimenting not just with different chains, but with tools to allow cross-chain compatibility or interoperability. Uh, and I think that that experimentation is going to continue for for the foreseeable future. Mm. I guess it do, it does play into a, a more long-term um, kind of vision of blockchains, where we have these things like kind of Polkadot and Cosmos, which are kind of by definition are kind of multi-chain um, kind of in, infrastructures that potentially cross uh, other chains, and other you know other chains can be part of those and i mean i think that kind of stuff is still broadly a long way off <laughs> and probably horrible technical um uh, aspects but i think conceptually that's kind of where a lot of people think it is going to go isn't it where um it doesn't really matter kind of quite quite what system you're operating on it's you know and i guess that's the that's the broad um goal for, for the game side of things no one cares what blockchain you're running on really i mean at the moment they do but they shouldn't <laughs> um and just a game a game that players can own things in the game and and build communities around is 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 where i guess yes we're all and the, and the more complex the games we start to launch on blockchain obviously the more you know taxing it'll be technologically and so people will come up with other solutions i mean in non-blockchain gaming one of our subsidiaries has has come out with technology that allows cross-platform you know um, multiplayer experiences that are truly cross-platform, meaning you can be on console, PC, web, and mobile in the same battle royale game. Um, you know, amazingly, that's something that that people have not yet done. Can even you know, considering the incredible success of Fortnite and other big battle royale titles, but those things are hard, and it takes time to develop that kind of stuff. Good. Well, 
thank you very much uh, for coming on the podcast and uh, chatting about 2020 and a bit of 2021. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to, I mean, I think if 2020 was anything to go by, um, at least in blockchain gaming, not in our private lives of pandemics and things like that, um, it was a fantastic year. And and I think that, you know, NFTs are definitely here to say, stay. So if anybody was concerned whether there was anything here, here, um, there definitely is. I think we've had a fabulous year. Yeah, I always kind of think with, with, with blockchain games, um, Having been in it now, getting on for kind of kind of two, have two years, yeah, no, th- uh, two years, three years, two years. I can't remember. Three years, three years now. Um, that it's one of those things that that um, you're never quite sure if everything's going to change and you can have this big rocket ship kind of kind of take off, or basically nothing's going to change. <laughs> There's doesn't seem to be a lot in between, which is which is a bit uh, uh, which is you know interesting. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Anyway, uh, excellent. Uh, thanks uh, for your time, Robbie, and uh, and thanks for you listeners for for listening. Um, currently on a series of uh, kind of twenty twenty recap interviews with some of the big players um, of the year. So um, please do keep uh, subscribing, or if you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe through your podcast uh, channel of of choice, and um, and come back next time to see what's going on in the world of blockchain games.